I'm Susan McEntee Brady. Welcome to the Better Understanding Podcast. Please join me in exploring what it means to lead inclusively. I'm excited and honored to welcome Asha George to the Better Understanding Podcast. I met Asha two years ago when she served as a panelist at the Simmons International Leadership Conference, which we produced that year in Dublin, Ireland. Asha's insights and deeply authentic and thoughtful manner on that panel really stayed with me, and I am delighted to continue to learn from her and share her insights with all of you. What you'd learn if you read Asha's professional bio is that she currently serves as Vice President of Diversity and Inclusion at Dell Technologies, where she partners with leaders and team members across the organization to deepen and advance Dell's culture of inclusion. Asha is a strategic human resources executive with over 20 years of experience, acquiring and integrating new businesses, leading business transformations, and shaping long-term relationships with top global clients. She is a passionate advocate for women in technology and deeply believes that diversity and inclusion is a business driver and therefore a business imperative. Asha holds her MBA from the University of Houston and a BA in biology from Baylor University. She resides in Austin, Texas with her husband and two teenage children. Welcome, Asha. I am thrilled to have you as a guest on the Better Understanding Podcast. And thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Susan. You know, I'm a fan of yours. I'm a fan of the Institute and I'm a fan of this topic. So I'm excited to be here with you. Okay, I, you know, I told the world a little bit about you. What do you want our listeners to know? What else about you? Yeah. You know, the funny thing about this podcast is you can't, you know, necessarily see you. So I think a little bit about myself is probably good. You know, I am a first generation American, daughter of immigrant parents from India. I was the first in my family to go to college. I uh, actually, when I went to college, I only had, just like most Asian kids, you have three choices you get to pick between, in, in, you know, being an engineer, a doctor, or a lawyer. Uh, I broke out of that. <laughs> I came into HR, so I've spent over the last 20-some years in HR and and in the last two years in the diversity and inclusion space. I'm a working mom. I'm married for over 21 years. I have two children. Both my husband and I have really demanding careers, and it literally takes a village, and we're hoping we're doing it right and kind of creating kind of the next generation of society. A little bit about me that you you will probably know really quickly is I'm a numbers girl at heart. I, you know, I like facts and data, and that's kind of always been how I make my calls and decisions in life. And I always say, you know, my superpower is always kind of being able to tell a story through data. That's really helpful. And how do you come to this work? So I'm thinking, what did you, what stat did you read that was like, oh my gosh, I have to solve for this? <laughs> I, I crack up. I had actually no plans to come into this space. I, I stepped into this DNI space unexpectedly, but it's been an absolute and pleasant surprise and, and fun, fun journey to be a part of. You know, most people have these kind of have to kind of jobs. I have a get to kind of job. I've always been passionate about transformational change and and in this role, I get to do it every day. And so I consider myself quite fortunate because I get to live and breathe it every day. So in my role as a diversity inclusion leader, I get to change hearts and minds at scale. Changing hearts and minds at scale. That just is so cool. (laughs) It is. Starts off, you start off with just individual awareness then it becomes personal learning. Mm-hmm. And then that transforms, you know, allyship over time. 
But when you work at a company like the size of Dell, it's like 160,000. It's like a small city. I mean, it's, it's a big population. Yeah. So transforming at scale, I always say, if you can make change at Dell happen, you're changing the world. And so that's what excites me and fuels me about this job. Why do we need more inclusion at work, Asha? I, you know, one of the things that I'm surprised about is there's been an ever-present drumbeat and there's a lot of focus. How would you articulate why, why all this focus on inclusion? One thing is, you know, as, as we think about like, you know, social responsibility, driving more inclusion is, is simply just the right thing to do. And it's hard, it's, it's not hard to imagine that the DNI is just practical, but there is a demand and there's a supply. And so you like, I talk, I think about it in that perspective. When you're in a business, you're always thinking about what the customer needs. And in my role, the customers really want to know that they're doing business with a company that literally has a soul. Diversity inclusion raises that customer, raises our customer satisfaction scores almost immediately. And part of it is also the face of the customer is kind of changing and they're becoming more diverse and they want to see people that look like them, that speak their language, that they can relate to, that have the same values as them. So you've got that piece kind of in play. And so that's why from a demand perspective that exists. And then of course, the workforce is changing. We actually have more women graduating than men. And then the buying power of our women as a result in minorities is growing like exponentially. So as a company, we know that, you know, companies with higher gender and ethnicity, we just make more money. And so we often say, hey, it's a business imperative. The other side of it is the supply. The number of women are growing faster than men in the workforce. And in the tech industry, I don't know, Susan, if you've noticed, but you can sit on your couch and you could probably order your groceries, the dress for the weekend, and your takeout all within a 15 time, 15 minute time frame. My kids and I, my husband, we do this. We we order we we solve 15 needs from the couch in 20 minutes. I guess for the fun of it, or because we could, we used to go out and do stuff, but now of course we can't. Every company has like a tech piece of it. And as a result, for our industry, we're, we're in a war for talent. And the reality is when we talk about the skills shortage, we expect to have like 4.3 million jobs open by 2030. So as you think about that, it's hard to ignore. Did you say 4.3 million jobs? Open in the tech industry by 2030. Wow. With the current graduation rates, we can't even hit half. We actually believe that if we can cast a wider net we can, we can not only meet the demand and fill the demand with the diverse talent, we also bring in diversity of thought, which if you think about that, diverse t- talent brings diversity of thought. With diversity of thought, you get innovation. And with in- innovation, you get competitive edge. And in a tech industry like ours, where we move at the speed of light, we just got to get it right. We often say, hey, if you don't embrace diversity and inclusion, you're just going to be left behind. First of all, you just said so much that I, I want to go back to, but one of the things as I sit here looking at my, my Dell computer, your brand is imprinted on me every single day when I wake up and go to work. I think technology used to be removed for a lot of people, even the concept of STEM. One of the byproducts of the pandemic, the global pandemic, is everyone is searching for doing things remotely. And our dependence on technology has just catapulted into a different stratosphere, right? How do you see your Dell culture changing? Because as I understood it, you guys always worked from home. And how has 
the pandemic for your organization impacted how you can include and not? Have you seen a change? Yeah, we had a big workforce, work from home culture uh, before, for sure. It was probably about 30%, but over the weekend, we went to about 90%. So it went really fast, really quickly. And I would have said we had more flex work schedules where people could come in and go as they needed, but a lot of people were still coming to the office when it made sense for their roles. But what really changed for me personally as I've watched it is watching Michael Dell and the ELT kind of open up their homes to us in their calls. You see our ELT kind of in sweatshirts and jeans, and you see their dogs, their children, their grandchildren in the picture. When you talk about leading with inclusivity, I think you see that. It makes us feel a lot more safe to share our homes and our thoughts, right? Because it's your home is a personal place. It's where you go to just unwind. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, your, your home is now your workplace. So there, there is no safe spaces. Inclusivity kind of is coming through, whether we like it or not, in this world in a lot of ways. Yeah. So there's an adjustment. So that I guess that leads me to the question is, when you think about what leading inclusively means, and how you know when you see it. How would you define leading inclusively? I always say that if you lead inclusively, you lead inquisitively. The intent is to learn, not judge. The reality is that everyone has a logic that makes sense to them. And just because it's their truth, but it's not yours, it doesn't make it right or wrong. I always tell the story about my parents. You know, my parents believed in arranged marriages and I didn't. They celebrated 46 happy years of marriage. And I can't argue with that. That is their truth. I just celebrated 21 years of mine. And that is my truth. So when you have that open mindset and the ability to accept like multiple truths, you, you're leading inclusively. And I'm not going to say that's easy. It's, it's hard at times. But you've got to kind of learn to kind of open up your brain a little bit to that and your heart. You basically just answered the question of why we would name, uh, you know, for an institute for inclusive leadership, why we would name a podcast, the Better Understanding Podcast. If you could click on that one, one more time, what's the role of understanding? How do we cultivate it? Or for the listener, Asha, who genuinely wants to understand why, why, why understanding is important, what would you say? I would say understanding is, is a journey that we all need to be continually focused on. You need to be deliberate. You need to be intentional. It takes listening more than even stating your own perspective. If you think about even systemic racism, it's existed for over 400 years, right, Susan? But in 2020, you know, you see the murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. Those racial injustice came to the surface really quickly. And when you talk about understanding, I'm a DNI professional, and even I had to pause and ensure. I had a full understanding of what the Black community was going through mm-hmm. in order to really hear direct. And so I took the chance to really go listen to our, direct, our Black team members. Our teams across Dell coordinated listening sessions to create spaces where people could really safely share their emotions, their needs, and a lot of times the rawness of what they were going through. This was not just impacting them at work. It was impacting their families. It was impacting their children. They needed somewhere to kind of open up as an outlet. This was an opportunity also for our leaders to learn and gain understanding as well. The simple thing of just checking in. 
can be so powerful and when you think about it and just listen. As a result, progress is just made real through that understanding. I'm a big advocate of listening being sort of probably the number one leadership skill. There is a fear though, right? To be white this summer on the topic of black lives was I think scary because yeah. we didn't know what we didn't know. Right. As, as you and I seek with, with many others to invite conversation, where do you see the biggest stumbling blocks or fears for people on these tough conversations? Yeah, I had to really give this some thought. Some people believe that there are a finite number of opportunities and have this interpretation that equity and inclusion means that something is being taken from one person to give to another. I would argue that that's simply not the case. I would probably venture to say there's probably an infinite number of opportunities for all. It's not that a bigger slice of one pie means a smaller slice for another. It's that the pie just gets bigger and there's just more opportunities for everyone. And the change has to begin with this understanding that the collective belief that power, opportunities, success, joys are not just pies. There is an infinite number of opportunities that can be accessible by all. So when we talk about this fear, we have to let go of the fear that something's being taken away from us and instead take action on behalf of all of us. Because I think you know revolutions really happen when you bring collective voices together. You need to amplify those voices, celebrate successes, be an ally and help each other. And that's how you got to tackle those fears. Just because we're elevating other rep- underrepresented populations like women into positions doesn't mean that you male or white male uh, have less opportunity because you have to think about the pie, the greater pie that it's expanding, right? Right, right. Um, although there is the fear of what's going to, what's going to be left for me. It's interesting. We had an executive a couple of weeks ago. He pulled up his chart from two years ago and showed his org chart. It's fairly homogenous, you know, looking group of folks. And then he pulled up his org chart two years later. The size of the org chart had doubled. So the number of people on the org chart had doubled. He then went on and talked about the revenue growth. And then what you saw was the diversity across the org chart. And he said, this is when I say the pie got bigger. We got, we made more money. And as a result, we made, had more jobs. And so we created opportunity. And that's really what, when we talk about it, really what it means. I love that example of how to activate a commitment of diversity in organizational life. So when you think about your own journey, and I'll just confess, this might've been my favorite part of the entire Dublin Simmons International Leadership Conference. We, along with two other awesome panelists, sat down and talked in front of several hundred people about arguably the most vulnerable thing in life. And that is when we felt like we weren't included Can you share a story about when you felt different? And then conversely, a story of when you felt purposely included to bring to life the difference of what it makes for just one human. Yeah, you know, I'll I'll tell you, you know, kind of my childhood, because I think that really is telling uh, a lot about me. I would venture to say we all feel the need to kind of mask and cover parts of ourselves. You know, I mean, how many times do you think about it, Susan? Have you adjusted the way you talk or dress or even who you're seen with just because it just would make life easier. You know, it, it just happens. Or how many times have you said a white lie just to kind of get it out of the way? 
And so when I think about even my childhood, I was a first-generation American kid born to Indian parents in the 70s. It's just a recipe for therapy on all different levels because <laughs> <laughs> there just wasn't a lot of immigrant kids at the time. As a kid, I had very humble beginnings and often kind of played that role as family translator, business negotiator, taught many of my immigrant relatives how to dress and speak, and it was the first in my family to go to college. So I often felt this pressure of being the one to take everyone forward. Like most first-generation kids, I live between two worlds, a life with a very, very traditional family and a completely separate life with my school kids. And the two never really mixed. Mm. And you see, for my parents, India was home, but for me, Texas was the only home I'd ever known. And so if I think about what I, how I handled it, I never felt like I fit in anywhere. So I did what most kids do. I covered. I covered everything. I, I don't want to take it away. I mean, I love my heritage. I love the songs, the food, the clothes, and I love the American heritage. I love the sports, the jeans, the barbecue. I loved it all. But when it came down to it, I just didn't want to do a lot of explaining. I was frankly just a little lazy. I didn't want to explain, you know, why does your house smell like spices? Why do your parents speak in different dialect? Why do you can't do things like we can? It just was a lot of work. So for our listeners who might not know what covering means, can you say what that is and give us an example of? Covering, covering is masking parts of yourself to just be able to kind of fit in. And a lot of times it's, it's ways to hide parts of yourself because you think you're not going to be accepted. And so that's really what I was really focused on is just trying to cover all those. I'd keep everything very separate because I didn't want to have to explain it all because I knew that my logic wasn't their logic and it just wouldn't be easy for others to understand. How did that shape you growing up in this duality? I remember this moment. I have to tell you this moment is you'll laugh. You'll laugh because it's hilarious. We had a Go Texans day in first grade. I begged and begged and begged my dad and said, can I get a Go Texans outfit, the cowboy hat, the whole thing? And I cried and said, I want to be an American. And my dad, we, we were really not well off folks at the time. So, you know, money was kind of hard to get, but he waited till he got his paycheck on Thursday night. The event was on Friday. He went and bought me an outfit. It, I remember it being one of the proudest, even to this day, one of the proudest moments of my life. You see, like for a moment, I wasn't living like a double life. I lived a life where I was Indian and American all at the same time, and it was very proud, right? And so when you think about diversity and inclusion, it's just more than what we do. It's kind of who we are. We have all these intersectionalities. Some of these things you can see, some of these things you don't, oh. but we shouldn't have to choose one for another, right? I just have to tell you that does not make me laugh. It makes me want to cry. <laughs> I can totally picture you in your little outfit. <laughs> oh, I was very proud. I was very proud. And my dad got the outfit from the grocery store, so you can tell how high-end it was. Oh, yeah. But I was very proud. <laughs> awesome. Okay, Asha, so do you have a picture? <laughs> I do. I will. And I will send it to you. I'm happy to. You will, you will have a ball of laughs. Okay. But I, I think one of the cool things about this is I covered a lot as a kid. But here was my wake-up call. I was never alone. Everyone covers in some form or fashion. But you are your be most best engaged, happiest self when you let those covers go. And that's really why, you know, I shared that example. You have to let people see you, see all of you. Let, see, let them see the warts and all and kind of let that, that idea of perfection go. Because in the imperfections is where you kind of see that compassion. 
And uh, I think that just tells a little bit about me and what I what it means to to not cover is, is, is really kind of freedom in the end. So I, I promised myself when I launched this podcast, I wouldn't use buzzwords that might frankly turn people off from listening. And I, and I think if there's one sort of shadow side that I can share that I believe we've done in the DNI profession is we've used language that sadly doesn't invite in people to learn as much as makes potentially unintentionally makes people feel wrong or scared that they're going to do it wrong. And one of those buzzwords for me in just talking to a lot of men is privilege. Mm -hmm. What just occurred to me as I was listening to your story is when we talk about privilege, we talk about the less you have to cover, the more privileged you are, the less you have to think about being authentic, being yourself means you're probably closer to what is familiar and in the majority, right? What we see as ubiquitous for power are those people who are in charge. What's it like for you now? Like, let's come to 2021. And here you have this really important strategic role at one of the world's biggest companies in the fastest growing industry on the planet. What's it like to navigate as you. Well, as you grow up in this kind of age where you're, you know, trying to always figure out how to fit in. And I love your, your conversation about privilege, because I think every one of us has privilege, some more than others, but we all have it. I always tell people at work, they, they say, well, you know, I had humble beginnings. I said, yeah, but you know how to write a resume because you work at Dell. You know how to read a P&L statement because you work at Dell. You know how to read and write that's privilege in a lot of, for a lot of people that we don't always recognize. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's power in leveraging that privilege for others. When I look at Dell, my role in career at Dell, one of the things that I get to play is a role with our employee resource groups. I have 54,000 people that really take that passion and energy and really drive it into our customers, our community, and our business so that I get to work at a place where I get to be myself. Mm. And, and when I think about why that is so powerful is, you know, when we look at each other, we kind of make a bunch of assumptions, but there are parts of, there are parts of me you see, and there's parts of me that you don't see. I have a disabled niece. I have a veteran brother. Those are things that people don't nas- naturally assume. So when I think about my role at Dell and the power that I have is creating those spaces for people to bring their best selves to work and them to look back on their careers at Dell and say, that was a great place to work because I got to be myself and I contributed the best version of myself when I was there. That's where I kind of think about my role at Dell. So maybe building on that, what is the most important skill we can practice that will lead to more inclusivity? I really believe it's self-awareness, particularly awareness of our own unconscious biases is the most important skill that we could use to lead inclusively. We all have biases. We just need to be aware of them. Listening, empathy, understanding are all part of that process. But until we kind of learn what our biases are, you can't move to those next steps. The reality is this journey is really uncomfortable. Susan is sometimes very scary. We don't know all the answers. Otherwise, we already would have solved all of this. You have to choose to sit in those uncomfortable conversations and learn how to get comfortable. Our unconscious biases are what most would make these conversations hard. But if those conversations are the spaces we need to learn and grow, that'll make us more inclusive people overall. When I'm noticing my own bias and picturing myself grabbing it and saying, whoa, 
any tips for leaders and our listeners about being more conscious? Then there's the next thing about doing something once you are conscious. Yeah. Well, I have biases. I, I don't even know them half the time, but you know, what I do is my team at work is I give them permission to call me out on it. And I don't care if they do it publicly, just call me out on it. Because for me, I want to be caught in the moment and I want to ca- catch myself before because you don't, you're so unaware, right? And so giving, giving permission to people and you've got to define how you want to be told. Do you want to be pulled to the side? Do you want to be called out in the moment? Do you want to be told 10 minutes later or the next day when you reflect at the end of the day? You've got to define what that looks like, but you've got to create your board of directors of people around you that will be those truth tellers for you. And you be the board of directors for others. And that's, I think, how that changes. You just put a piece of puzzle in the old big puzzle that was missing for me. And and it goes like this. The reason why seeking to better understand and frankly, leading inclusively is so hard is because it requires that we get comfortable not knowing. The getting comfortable being uncomfortable is actually, oh my gosh, I didn't mean it to come out that way. Or I wasn't aware that that was offensive. Or it's actually being potentially wrong and then being righted, which is really painful, especially for people who have pride, ego, don't love vulnerability. You know, this is just like one big journey of vulnerability, right? What I'm hearing you say, the more that we can model this, especially leaders, tell me the truth about how I show up and what I might not be seeing. And then I, as a leader, need to check in about that. That's what I heard you say. Yeah. Take a moment and kind of reflect and change. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. I want everybody in every organization to feel the way you feel, which is I can be me and I belong, right? What, what do you wish to leave people with? What actions do you suggest our listeners take to continue their own journey of understanding about inclusion? Each of us is incredibly unique and special. So when we talk about inclusion, the only way to True, truly be successful is celebrating those differences and working together. So what I would tell people, and you can't have a conversation without Asha without her telling what you what to go do, <laughs> just the way I am. <laughs> Get involved with people who don't look like you. You know, learn about their cultures, learn about their language, learn about their traditions, ask about their barriers and challenges. Step out and get really, really uncomfortable. And once you figure out how to get comfortable being uncomfortable, then you'll learn how to become a change agent in our society. And then you leave a legacy that you can be incredibly proud of. And that's what I would leave you with, Susan. Oh, get comfortable being uncomfortable. You heard it here. Asha, thank you so much. I can't wait to listen to this myself and take it in. Really appreciate you being with us and really appreciate you being part of our work here at the Institute as well. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Susan. Thank you so much. Let's work together and make a huge difference in the world. At the core, leading inclusively starts with a desire to understand. So we hope the Better Understanding podcast sparks something for you that leaves you wanting more. Thank you everybody for joining.